Are you interested in cracking the customer code? You've got customers, and we will help you work with them to deliver a great experience to grow your business. I'm Jeannie Walters. And I'm Adam Taporic. Join us as we learn from those business leaders who get it. And a few who don't. And together, we'll crack the customer code. All right. Welcome to episode 31 of Crack the Customer Code. Today, we're asking the question, do you need a customer experience manager, or is it just another layer of bureaucracy? And we have Jean Bliss here to talk about customer experience and her new book. And we've got a customer hero story about Netflix that started as a customer zero story. Bum, bum, bum. (laughs) Are you mapping your customer journeys but struggling with how to derive value from your maps? Touchpoint Dashboard is a powerful yet easy to use web-based journey mapping platform that was purpose-built to ensure that your journey maps meet your goals and become the catalyst for change that they were meant to be. To learn more, check out touchpointdashboard.com. That is touchpointdashboard.com. And sponsoring our show is a great way to reach business leaders and customer experience professionals. We'd love to talk to you about how we can help you get your message out. Go to crackthecustomercode.com slash sponsor for full details. So Adam, our question today is this. Do you need a customer experience manager or is it just another layer of bureaucracy? I'd say yes, no, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) So it was that article we were talking about the other day and that, you know, the writer was putting forth the idea that many of the companies that sort of bring a CXM in, it can be accomplished with existing resources. Mm -hmm. You don't need the additional layer. You don't need it. It's sort of a bandaid, but I don't know if that's always true. I don't know either. I think that it really depends on a lot of factors, but I think that there is a trend right now where the C-suite and VP level, all that, are breaking up into so many different specifics. I mean, I just heard about how there is now chief data officer that could report to the CXO. It could report to the CIO. And I think this kind of falls under that category. It's like, where do you just rely on the organization that you already have and ask them to include thinking about the customer (laughs) as part of their role and where do you bring somebody in whose sole role is to do that? That's a good question. I think it's when you can afford the person and and fill up their day with work. (laughs) Isn't that how you hire everybody? Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, you fill up the space you have, right? (laughs) Right. Yeah. No, I mean, so it's interesting because, you know, we talked about holacracy a few episodes Mm -hmm. ago and, you know, that was one of the complaints internally about it is like, okay, well now I have 10 more things to do. Right. Like I got added to this circle and added to this circle. So, you know, it's always a challenge when you have an existing structure or whether you dump more on that structure, which certainly post 2007, 2008 mm-hmm. has really been what's been going on in most corporations. You know, they've cut staff, you know, with the downturn and never replenished, mm-hmm. right? People just got the ones that survived, just got their plates added to and added to and added to. So there's always a sort of employee morale and, and you know, all that fact part of it, right? Mm-hmm. You've got to consider that. Then you've got to decide, do we really need another C-suite person? Mm-hmm. Well, and you look at the best examples of customer experience, and it's really, it's not about one manager or one leader. It's about everybody. It's about the culture. It's about Southwest, you know, how they have part of their mission is customer service. They hire based on that. They hire who can deliver on it. And I think if you look across the board at the examples that we have, that's what you'll see. It's pretty rare to have one leader or one CX manager come in and say, okay, new sheriff in town, 
everybody line up. We're going to think about the customer now. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's what we were talking about a episode or two ago also, which is those silos. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, that's, I think, where the person really can be useful is bridging all of those divides mm-hmm. between the different silos and the different departments. But here's where, of course, we've seen the catch before. They don't have the power to do that. Right. So right. it's when they come in and can really, you know, mm-hmm. say, hey, marketing, you need to do this because this is what's going to happen four steps down the line in manufacturing. Mm-hmm. But question problem is they usually don't have that power. Well, and I think two a one, any leader that you talk to who has had success in customer experience, uh, it's about getting getting the um, true leadership involved. So if your C-suite, if your CEO says, this is absolutely a priority and I'm empowering you to make it happen, that person could have all the power that they need, but it has to come from the top. It just has to. I would agree with that. So let's get on to our guest. I am really excited to welcome Jean Bliss to the podcast. Jean is one of the, I will say, pioneers in the customer experience space. She's She was a customer leadership executive at several organizations, including Land's End and Allstate. She has written several books, and her next book comes out very soon called Chief Customer Officer 2.0. So welcome, Jean. Thanks for being here. Thanks. It's so great to be with you two. And you know, pioneer is another word for old, I think. It's not. (laughs) It's not. I I should say like, you know, initial leader, original leader. (laughs) <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It is fun when I talk to these young crowds and I say I started this work in 1983. Some of them weren't born yet. You know, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> well, I'm really excited. And I've had just a little preview of your book coming out. And you're coming out with this book called Chief Customer Officer 2.0 very soon. Yes, June 22nd. Yay. And in it, you outline what you call the five competencies for a customer-driven growth engine. Mm-hmm. And I love what you say about the first competency, which is about honoring and managing customers as assets. And what really stood out to me was that word honor. And so I'm wondering, what are some of the ways customers aren't being honored today? Well, and thanks for that. I'm really glad you picked up on that. And, and, and that word I put in there very, very deliberately because every way, everything I put into those competencies drives an action. So they're not just fluff words. Um, What I mean by honor is, are you really recognizing that the reason you're in business is to take care of the lives and honor the integrity and trust your customers and your employees? And if you're thinking about them as an asset, you, you understand that even if, for example, a young couple comes in, in a financial services environment, you don't look them up and down and make judgments about who they are. And throw a bunch of policies and rules at them. You really need to understand from a lifetime value standpoint, if you start the relationship by honoring their integrity and we create in business, the majority of the rules to protect us from the minority of the customers. Mm. So honoring is around trying to get rid of policies and procedures that, that, you know, say to the customer, we're in it to protect us from you. Ah. It needs to connect to the asset, meaning that, If you don't honor that asset, these little things will drive away your business. I have clients who have lost million-dollar customers or or customers of theirs because of a $35 policy change or an upcharge, you know, when they didn't think about 
this customer is going to come back to me and say, hey, I've been with you for 10 years. I bought $40 million of products. Really? $35 because I changed my order? Really? <laughs> so it's crazy land. So that's what honored me. <laughs> I love it. The concept of this sort of just myopic view and broadening that view to include that sort of honor concept. Tell us, well, first of all, not all of our audience may know what a chief customer officer does. So tell us what one does and how have you seen that role change over the years? A chief customer officer, and there, there's lots of different terms. It might be vice president or senior vice president of customer experience. Um, what a chief customer officer or those other role titles do is to really navigate across the organization and give the leadership team first a comprehensive view of the customer's journey with you so that the leadership team and then the rest of the organization can be united in focusing on the priorities versus everybody kind of cherry picking what they want to work on because they see a survey score or there's a customer calamity that people reach out to. And so the idea of a chief customer officer is to do a couple things. It's to tell the story of customers' lives and make them human. It's to create a, a focus on the priorities and not boil the ocean in this work. It's to uh, create clarity and embed competencies in the organization so it's a repeatable cycle of work, not reacting to survey scores. And it's also to embed a competency as honored and understood as product development to create this whole new competency around customer experience, development, improvement, and innovation. So those are really the four things that have to happen. And they don't naturally happen inside of an organization because people are working hard separately inside their own silos. I could not agree more. <laughs> Uh, and so you've seen that role from so many different perspectives mm -hmm. and you titled your next book 2.0. So what do you think is next for that chief customer officer role? Well, it, you know, what's happening is more people are um, identifying the need for the chief customer officer and allowing the role to really be a senior role in the organization. Uh, I work with a lot of recruiting companies and CEOs as they're trying to hire a chief customer officer. And there's a lot of people who are doing CX work, but they're doing it in a more uh, technical role. They're building the voice of the customer program, which is important, but that's not the transformational role that the chief customer officer or the senior person has. So what we're seeing is the recognition that this person has to be at the a peer of the C-suite, um, has to have skill sets of a great leader to be considered, for example, next in line for a COO or a CEO role, for example, and that they bring to that bring to the organization a set of competencies, not to to help transform the organization, which includes change management at its highest level from a people standpoint and operations standpoint, uh, not just chipping away at survey score data or um, being a beggar of um, asking people to please look at the data, please take action. It's it's much elevated and much more strategic. And most importantly, it's a growth strategy. When you hire a chief customer officer, it is with the intent of building a growth strategy uh, for customer-driven growth, making a deliberate way that you will grow. I wish everybody thought like that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I know I'm on a crusade. I'm on a crusade. <laughs> well, that's a great crusade. And, you know, one of my favorite points in your new book is the idea of knowing before customers tell you. How do you think the best companies do this? One of the things that I try to do in the, in the five competencies is um, to 
lay out for people that you need to have multiple ways of understanding customers' lives. You know, everybody's put all their eggs in the survey basket. Well, the, the survey score is something that comes after the fact. But if you really know the stages of your customer journey from a customer standpoint, and you then get really focused on those critical touch points that are the most important, the make or break moments, then you can get deliberate about operationally how reliable you are as a one company way. And so the most reliable companies are the companies who have been zealots about putting these metrics and elevating them as high as reaching sales goals or uh, EBITDA. For example, you know, Federal Express is a zealot at this. They they know those points in the experience where they need to be the most reliable. One of my other favorites is 800 Got Junk. They did it by being very, very reliable in the touch points that are most critical to the customer. Another one everybody knows, and when I give keynote speeches now, I say, who has not bought something from Amazon? Amazon Mm -hmm. is a reliability engine. Mm -hmm. And in a world of social media, if If you don't know before your customers tell you where you're failing them in terms of reliability, you're not going to earn the right to growth by getting that customer story who's going to tell other people about you. Right. Well, and I think you brought up a great point. And I actually wrote a blog post probably a couple of years ago now called Data is Great, But It's Always Late. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's always about what has already happened. So if you're not looking to the future about what could happen and where those canary in the coal mines are then your data is going to tell you how badly you screwed up after the company closes its doors. That's right. That's right. Well, that's why I, when you started with customers as assets, it's important because customers as assets say, here's what customers did, not what they say they're going to do in a survey result. Mm -hmm. And then the metrics, the operational metrics say, and here's why they did it. So we connect the dot and then the survey scores say, okay, we're going to validate that, that with this after-the-fact feedback from customers. So we create a clear line of sight between all of those things that connect ROI and growth, and that no longer than the work becomes kumbaya, we're going to do this because it's a nice thing to do. So this all sounds great because a lot of people are wanting to become this customer-driven organization. And if you had a leader in front of you that said, okay, I want to start being more customer centric. I want a customer driven growth engine, but I feel totally overwhelmed. What's one thing any leader could do? Well, the first thing I'd have them do is get together with the CEO, the CMO and the CFO, if they can, of course, and build their version of the customer asset metric, which is customers voting with their feet, telling the organization um, if they stayed or if they left, because that immediately proves the case that this work is about growth. And and that means really lining up the data um, and being able to fearlessly in front of the organization say, hey, I'm going to walk you through how we earned the right to growth this quarter or month or year before annual planning. And it's here's how many new customers we brought in, but here's how many we lost. And now let's navigate across our journey to understand what we did to cause this. And that we find really turns the tide for leaders. Um, The other thing I would do is don't go crazy on journey mapping immediately. Just build the stages of the experience and word them the way your customers think about those stages. And then have all of your leaders start using that same language to start asking for accountability and asking employees what's getting in their way of delivering value in those stages. 
In fact, in the new book, I actually put at the back of each chapter for the competency, what I call recipe cards, which are to your point, Jeannie, if we can't do anything else, what's these three things that our leaders could do to start implementing this competency? That's great. And, you know, so many corporations are cut to the bone now, and there's so much overwhelm at the top levels. It's great to have those sort of quick cards and that quick method to get in there and find those root causes. That's right. So this has been wonderful, Jean. Thank you so much. Tell us, where can people find you on the internet? Um, easy website, customerbliss.com. And um, I'm on Twitter at Jean Bliss. It's J-E-A-N-N-E, Jeannie, and I spell our names differently just to confuse everybody. Um, <laughs> but uh, that's it, Jean Bliss and at Jean Bliss. Awesome. Well, this was just as much fun as I thought it would be. I so appreciate you coming on and chatting with us about your amazing experience and what's next for this role, because it's it's a really important one. So thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you. It's a blast. So good to be with you. Thanks. Thanks. Bye-bye. It's time for Customer Hero, Customer Zero. All right. And today, Jenny, our customer hero actually started off as a customer zero. Whoa. How is that possible? <laughs> all right. So first of all, let me frame this. That uh, This is an online customer complaint uh, on Facebook that sort mm-hmm. of went viral. Uh, not a lot of proof whether it's true or not, but it seems to be. So we're going to just keep that in mind as we're going through. So it was a Facebook post from a soldier in Afghanistan. And he essentially wrote that he had been overseas. Netflix had changed their uh, you know membership thing. He was young. He was overseas. He didn't have a lot of reason to check his account. So after 13 months, he went in and saw that they'd been charging him erroneously. So he called in to say, hey, I want to uh, get a refund, blah, blah, blah. And he was essentially attacked by the service rep at Netflix. Attacked? I mean, attacked. I mean, like, uh, you military people, completely disrespectful of his service, uh, being overseas is an excuse. I mean, just awful stuff. You military people? (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure (laughs) that's that's an exact quote, but yeah, pretty much. Like, I'm sick of you military people using this as an excuse. So whatever, he went away. He talked to, I guess, some leadership in his unit, and they told him to call back and register a complaint. And I guess pretty shortly thereafter, an executive at Netflix called him mm. and basically apologized. You know, it was like Semper Fi. I <laughs> uh, can't believe that if you were would be willing to let us have it, you know, our mm-hmm. previously employed employee, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> Good, swift action. I like it. Yeah, so, you know, they took it seriously. And Mm -hmm. I mean, you you know, you and I have talked about this before. You can have big companies and you can all the blah, blah, blah about culture and and Mm -hmm. this and that. If you have 50,000 people on your payroll, you're going to have some stinkers. It just doesn't matter who you are. Well, Starbucks had a stinker this week, too. Did you hear about that? Oh, yeah, that video. Yeah, why don't you tell everybody about that one? So there was a video of a manager of a Starbucks kind of going crazy on this poor woman and I don't know what set it up, but somebody started, uh, you know, video recording it. And essentially, the customer was baffled at what was going on. She was just kind of dumbfounded because this woman was being so, uh, I, I don't even know what the word is. Uh, she was saying, bye-bye, like, get out. And you're not, I'm not going to sell you this. And she was and screaming, too. She was screaming. And then at one point, the customer said, may I please speak with the manager? And she said, you're talking to it, which was, I think, my favorite <laughs> line. It was awful. And other customers jumped in to defend the customer. Yes. I mean, that, that's bad. When you're yelling so bad that other customers are jumping in. Mm-hmm. And you could tell the other employees didn't know what to do because this was the manager. But 
essentially somebody tweeted it out and Starbucks responded right away and said, this is what we've done. We've uh, that person is no longer a team member and we've reached out to the customer. We take these things really seriously. And that was just on Twitter. But I imagine that they, you know, this went through the chain very quickly. They took swift action. They acknowledged it. And I think both of these show that you have to get in there and acknowledge it. You can't just run away from it. You can't hide from it. And uh, the story you're talking about, the guy basically said, I will be a Netflix customer for life after this. Oh, yeah. And they gave him like five years of membership mm-hmm. or something like that. I mean, they, they definitely made it right. They understood how bad an experience that mm-hmm. was. It was bad. It wasn't just bad customer service. I mean, it was abusive. Yeah. You know, I mean, it was it crossed so many lines. You know, we talk about that on the other side, right? Mm-hmm. You when the customer goes from being upset to abusive, mm-hmm. you know, we we start drawing lines, right? Right. right? And yeah, and this was the company went mm-hmm. from you know sort of disrespectful and just sort of bad mm-hmm. to outright dis you know abusing. We live in a world where we're going to find these things more than we ever did before, and they these things have always happened, but sometimes it's easy to just brush it under the rug. I mean, the manager at Starbucks could have said, no, that never happened. And if she was a great employee up until that day, she would have been believed. So now that we have these, you know, people are recording, people are taking pictures, people are doing all of these things and sharing it. There is a lot more out there. And I really like the way certain companies are stepping in and saying, we are taking this seriously. And the flip side of that is by doing that and by being human about it, other humans understand it more. And we go, oh, okay, I get it. It wasn't Starbucks. It was that one crazy manager. Or it wasn't all of Netflix. It was one person who made some really bad choices and shouldn't be there. And they took the right action. And we forgive them and we move on. Yeah. And there's a, I mean, I first of all, I agree 100%. And kudos to Netflix, kudos to Starbucks mm-hmm. in both of these situations. I will say there's sort of a dark side to the other side of this too, which is catching somebody who does a good job for a very long time and catching them at their worst moment. Mm-hmm. Now she, this lady was over the edge, yep. but sometimes you catch people like they just do one or two things or they just sort of get mm-hmm. mad and it just looks so bad isolated on video. Mm-hmm. You don't see the ramp up. You don't see the buildup. Now, by the time something, you know, we talked about this with the Apple store lady, by the time somebody's filming, right. th- there was a ramp up. Yep. Yeah. Right. By the time somebody said, oh, wow, this was bad enough. I'm going to grab my camera and I'm going to. So something happened before then. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, what this lady did was indefensible. I mean, you can watch the video mm-hmm. and it, we'll put it in the show notes. Mm-hmm. There's no defending it. No. It went on for minutes on a tirade. It's not like she snapped, said one thing and sort of backed down as a you know, deep right. breath. No, she went off. <laughs> I mean, right. <laughs> I mean, off for, for minutes. Yes. So but yeah, so I think there's a you know, it's uh for employees, it's it's scary because they really can get just one bad moment, mm-hmm. you know, and put on video and have it you know, really hurt them. I think that's that's the world we live in, though. It's not just employees; it's anybody. I mean, if you have a bad moment, you have to assume that it's on film, and unfortunately, that's that's the world we live in. But I think in the cases where they are representing a brand, uh, there the stakes are very very high, and they have to understand that. See, what I say you do is you turn it around and you spin it. This is my final thought. That's what we do with you. Instead of having your rants be out of context, we actually market them. We market your rants. Exactly. Embrace it. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) Embrace your ranty side. (laughs) All right. Our thanks go out to Touchpoint Dashboard for sponsoring today's podcast. To learn more about how Touchpoint Dashboard can help you understand and transform your customer experience. Visit touchpointdashboard.com. That is touchpointdashboard.com. And thanks for listening to episode 31 of Crack the Customer Code. 
I'm Jeannie Walters, and you can find out more about me at 360connects.com. And I'm Adam Tapork, and my website is customersthatstick.com. Find more episodes and all the show notes at crackthecustomercode.com. And please subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher so you'll never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, we'd love your comments and review. Let us know what you like, what we could improve on, or who you'd like to invite as a guest. And please tell someone you know. We love word of mouth. Until next time, take care of yourself. And take care of your customers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.